This podcast exists for entertainment purposes only. Before making any investment decisions, please contact your financial advisor. Welcome back to Man vs. Market, the show where we take a look at the past, present, and future of everything macroeconomics and give you all of the information that you need for this coming week in both the stock market and the broader economy. Before we get any further into the episode, I want to thank all of you once again for making Man vs. Market possible. This last week, Man vs. Market jumped into the top 2% of all podcasts globally, something I would have never imagined when I started the show 12 weeks ago. So all I can say is thank you, and please keep supporting the show for more content like this. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into all of the news and updates we should be aware of for the coming week. First, let's talk about healthy rallies in bear markets. At one point on this last Friday, we were on an 8% rally from the lows set a couple weeks back. And I'm going to take this time to remind you, healthy rallies do occur in bear markets. And despite this upside, we cannot safely say that we are out of a bear market until we've seen a little bit more movement to the upside. Just take a look back at earlier in the year. The S&P had a 7.1% rally in May and an 11.1% rally in March, yet we still trekked lower as we failed to make higher highs consistently. But there is one thing I will say. Historically, most bear market rallies at this magnitude occurred near the end of bear markets, and they coincided with a steep decline in the 10-year treasury yield, something we are also seeing. And they have marked the middle of the larger recessionary period. So while these signals look good, we have to give the bears the benefit of the doubt still, at least in the long term. According to Edward Jones, there are three main reasons that this rally is happening. Number one, inflation is likely peaking. The June CPI came in at a shocking 9.1%, but it looks likely that that might be the highest number we're going to see at least for the next couple of months. The main reason is that commodities have absolutely gotten destroyed over the last couple of weeks and months. Oil is down 20% from the highs. Copper is down 32% from the highs. And lumber is down 60% from the highs. These things take a while to trickle down to the consumer level. But once they do, we should likely see the cost of most goods come down a little bit. We've already seen gas prices drop significantly, as the median price nationwide is down about 10%. So yes, the CPI is still high, but if we wait for the trickle down, we will see it, and the CPI should be lower for the month of July. The second reason that inflation is probably happening is the rising yields that are relieving some pressure on things like wages and supply chains. As the Fed continues to increase rates, we're seeing less and less money being spent in the economy. This should naturally lead to some layoffs and ultimately a decline in some wages. Also, this decreased demand has helped the supply chain bottleneck free up just a little bit. This has greatly helped inflation. And as inflation continues to drop, again, back to the first point, we should see markets continue to do well. And the third reason, we've had a surprisingly positive earnings season. So far, 20% of the S&P 500 has reported, and profit growth so far is 4% above expectations. This is partially what fueled last week's rally. I said on the last episode that markets were being too pessimistic on ER, and overall, I totally think that that is still valid. There are going to be some poor reports over the next couple of weeks for sure, but overall, I'm relatively optimistic on what we're going to get. Moving over to U.S. business output, we see that it is in its sharpest pullback since early in the pandemic. 
it is currently at a reading of 47.5. Anything below 50 is considered a contraction. This is another data point that even furthers the narrative that we are more likely to see a U-shaped recovery rather than the V-shaped recoveries we've seen over the last couple of years. And the difference between the two should be relatively self-explanatory. The V-shaped recoveries typically see a sharp decline followed by a quick recovery. The U-shaped recoveries see a relatively sharp decline and a longer period of moderation before the recovery. Moving over to the European Union, the European Union Central Bank hiked rates by 50 basis points over the last week. This brings the Eurozone out of negative rates for the first time in, I believe, eight years. The market expected a 25 basis point hike rather than the 50 basis point hike that we actually got. So the Euro actually rallied on the news, and the Euro to dollar ratio is now 1.02. The two were trading in parity as recently as July 14th. Now moving over to the labor market, we are really seeing the first signs of weakness since the pandemic ended. The labor market is likely what is holding the economy up. The unemployment claims this last week hit 251,000 and have risen for three straight weeks. This is a typical signal of a weakening labor market. I will be keeping a close eye on this as this will be one of the first indicators that we are truly in recession. Now let's look at what is going on this coming week and the more that I look at it, I think this might be the most action-packed week I have ever seen in my time trading the stock market. The amount of events that are likely going to dramatically move the market is off the charts. First, I must mention the earnings reports that are coming out this week. We have the big tech names and many other blue chip stocks reporting. Companies like Chevron, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, MasterCard, Visa, Meta, and Shopify are just a few of the big names that are reporting over the next five days. And reminder, there are likely to be some companies that don't meet expectations and even just a few of these could definitely pull the market down. I do think we're going to see a relatively solid earnings season, but just want to mention it is very possible we don't. On Tuesday, we'll be getting the new home sales for June, and this will give us a hint at whether the housing market is really weakening or if this is all just a smokescreen. Wednesday, we get the huge policy update from the Fed. This is where they are going to be deciding and announcing whether they will be increasing rates by 75 basis points, or 100 basis points. The markets are currently pricing in about an 80.5% chance of a 75 basis point hike and just a 19.5% chance of a 100 basis point hike. Because the odds are so high of a 75 basis point hike, I really do not think the Fed is going to surprise us here. This could end up being the least important event of the entire week, as a 75 basis point hike will be exactly what the market anticipated and has already priced in. Thursday, we will get the big news. We will get the GDP numbers for quarter two. If these numbers are negative, it would technically mean that we are in recession according to some indicators, given that quarter one was read already. The definition of a recession, again according to some, is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. Most analysts expect the number to be close to zero, but still positive. If we somehow get a negative reading, expect the media to absolutely fuel this recession narrative and expect a sell-off. Last on Friday, we get the highly anticipated University of Michigan consumer sentiment results. The last couple months, we have seen all-time lows in universal consumer sentiment. Should this number get even lower, we should definitely expect some more downside. 
Alright, now that we've covered all of the news and things we need to be watching for, let's jump right into the charts and take a look exactly at what the price action told us this week. Going forwards, I am going to be posting a detailed chart of everything I talk about in this section on my Instagram. So if you want a visual reference, check me out on Instagram at chartytrades. That's at C-H-A-R-T-Y-T-R-A-D-E-S. And it will have the chart that I am looking at as I make this recording. But overall, the markets had another really solid week, as the bulls have really taken over sentiment in both the short term and now the middle term. Taking a look at the indices' performances last week, the S&P 500 finished up about 2.72%, the Dow finished up about 1.96%, and the Nasdaq finished up about 3.63%. So yeah, a very strong week. Taking a look at the S&P 500 ETF SPY on the 65-minute chart, it looks like we started the week with a test of the 200-day moving average before we broke back down below that 385.40 Fibonacci level. But after that, we really rallied the rest of the week. For the past two episodes, I've been saying that I think we are more likely to make a move towards 400 before we make a new lower low, and that played out exactly correct so far. If we quickly look at the daily chart, we did just reclaim the 50-day moving average for the first time in a long time. But back on the 65-minute chart, we have now claimed the 9-day moving average, the 50-day moving average, and the 200-day moving average. And on top of that, on Friday, we actually got a bullish cross, where we saw the 50-day moving average cross above the 200-day moving average. This is actually a relatively bullish midterm signal, but there are definitely a couple of hurdles the bulls are going to have to jump over if they want to really push to make new highs. First, we are going to have to get back over that 400 level that held as resistance on Friday. There are three main reasons at this point in time that the 400 level will continue to act as resistance. First, it's going to act as a psychological barrier. 400 is a big round number and is a place that a lot of people have their profit targets or their stop losses. So we're likely going to see a lot of selling at around 400. Second, it is right at the 38.2 Fibonacci level, which is historically the most significant ratio on the entire Fibonacci sequence. And three, we still have an open gap all the way to about 401, which the bulls are going to absolutely have to close if they want any chance at continuing upwards. If the bulls are in fact able to get above that gap and close it, it will probably soon act as support afterwards. Also, if we take a look at the 65 minute chart and those green lines on the right side of the screen, there is a new hidden bullish divergence on the 65 minute chart. This happens when we see higher lows in the price action and lower lows in the oscillator. This is historically a pretty bullish signal. Going off of what we talked about earlier, this might be the most action-packed week for the stock market that I have ever seen in my life. So technicals might be a little less relevant here than actual fundamental circumstances. And while the technicals do look promising, it is essentially a coin flip on what we're going to see next week. We could very easily dump several percent or very easily rally several percent, just depending on the combination of policy decisions, GDP releases, and the blue chip tech earnings reports. So again, it is very likely a coin flip, but if I were to make a prediction on what would happen next week, I would probably bet on an earlier in the week rally, maybe a retest of the 400 or 401 level, followed by a likely sell-off, as I'm actually pretty pessimistic on the GDP numbers, and I'm relatively pessimistic on a couple of blue chip tech reports. But again, this is an absolute coin flip, and we are going to see volatility next week that we haven't seen in a long time. 
So remember, there are lots of profits to be made, but there is also a huge potential for losers. So my recommendation is to please keep your position sizes smaller than you normally would next week, especially next week. The next five trading days are going to be madness. Keep your position sizes small, and I promise there will be profit potential in both directions. Let's finish this episode off with a new company that I'm adding to the portfolio. As we go further and further into this tightening cycle, it's becoming increasingly likely that the Fed is going to make a policy error at some point as they seem to be tightening monetary policy in a very abnormal way. These steep rate hikes are something the market is not used to given the incredibly dovish environment that the Fed has been in over the last decade or so. The Fed has made it very clear that their number one priority is to bring inflation down, no matter what it does to the broader economy. And as they keep hiking rates like this, it's becoming more and more likely that this policy is going to lead to economic recession. The problem with all of this is that it is two main things that are driving inflation. One, energy prices. And two, food prices which is ultimately linked back to energy as fuel is one of the leading factors in the cost of food. But because energy is a global market, the Fed has very little control over the energy market. So they are trying to attack the demand side of everything else. When in reality, we aren't seeing sky high inflation because of the crazy demand, we're seeing sky high inflation because of the crazy supply. So rather than treating the actual disease, the Fed is treating the symptom. Now, to be fair, they don't really have the necessary tools to actually treat this supply-side inflation. So they're doing their best to affect the demand side to hopefully offset some of the supply-side bottlenecks. But, like I said a minute ago, it's becoming more and more likely that they are going to make a policy error at some point. I think that error is hiking rates too quickly and too short of a time frame. When this ultimately backfires, and trust me, at some point it will, we will probably see the Fed cut rates dramatically if the next recession is even a little bit steeper than expected. This has led me to think what kind of stock would do well in both a high interest rate environment and a low interest rate environment. And well, it led me to dig a little deeper. The GDP numbers that are going to be releasing this week will give us a better idea of where we are in the business cycle. As you guys know, I am a big believer in the market sector rotation theory, meaning that at different points in the business cycle, different sectors tend to outperform others. As we start heading into a recession, there are some stocks that do better than others. And as we ultimately bottom out, there are even different stocks that do better. Looking ahead to the next phase in the business cycle, financial stocks tend to do well when we get to the end of bear markets, which we very well could be approaching. Also, in high interest rate environments, financial stocks also tend to do well. However, in low interest rate environments, financial stocks tend to underperform, but growth-based tech stocks tend to do very well. So I thought, what if I found something that could benefit from both sides of this? And I have decided to add a position in Visa, ticker V. Visa is both a financial company and a tech company and could potentially benefit from both sides of this equation, meaning it could have the upside of a growth-based rally like we saw for the last couple of years, while also having some upside in a high interest rate environment due to its financial status. Not to mention, Visa releases earnings this week on Tuesday, and I am pretty optimistic on their results. If we look at the charts, we see that Visa has just broken above the 250 and 9-day EMAs on the daily chart. And we are approaching a level that if we could break above on a solid report, could lead Visa to another crazy rally. 
So Visa's report on Tuesday will be one that I am watching very, very closely. And I will be adding this stock to the portfolio for the long term. I plan to hold Visa for at least a year. Thank you guys again for listening to my podcast. If you learned anything today or took any lessons or found any value in this episode, please share it with your friends and consider leaving a review. All right, on that note, I will talk to you guys next week.